Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, happy Easter, New Brunswick, Nutley and Mountainside. Give a big hand. Happy Easter. We are glad you are with us. Welcome to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim. I am so glad that you are joining us. If it's your first time, welcome to Liquid. And hey, just to set your mind at ease, I understand Liquid, kind of a funky name for a church. I know most people assume, uh, you know, like we're a cult or a drinking fraternity. Just set your mind at ease. We named our church Liquid for a simple reason. Jesus calls himself the living water, and we believe church should be refreshing. And that's what I hope is going to happen today. By the end of our service, you're going to walk out of here feeling refreshed because we have a lot to celebrate. Amen? It's Resurrection Sunday. We're very excited because we're starting a sermon series called Heaven is for Real. That probably rings a bell. You just watched the trailer of the major film that's being released this weekend on Easter. Heaven is for Real. It's the true story of a four-year-old boy named Colton Burpo who had a near-death experience. His appendix ruptured. And it actually, he was misdiagnosed, and for five days, his body was leaching poison through it. He almost died. So his parents rushed him into surgery, where he had an out-of-body experience. At first, nobody knew because he's four years old. He couldn't verbalize it. But in the days following recovery, he began telling his parents some very strange details. He said, Mommy, while I was on the operating table, I saw you in the other room on the phone, in the waiting room. And then I saw daddy in the chapel, and he was praying, and he was raging at God. And they said, well, how could he possibly know that? Days later, he told his mom. He said, mommy, you had a baby die in your tummy. They never told Colton that she had had a miscarriage years before. He's four years old. You don't say that sort of thing. And he said, why didn't you tell me I had a sister? I met her in heaven. She has brown hair, and she said she can't wait to meet you and daddy. It blew his parents away. He described going to heaven and meeting relatives who had died decades earlier, including his grandpa, Pop. And Dad showed him a picture, and Colton shook his head. He said, no, no, that's not Pop. No one wears glasses in heaven, Dad. <laughs> it's a provocative premise, right? A little boy visits heaven and lives to tell the world all about it. The book Heaven is for Real became a New York Times bestseller, sold about 8 million copies, so of course they made it into a movie. And at the end of today's service, we're going to give away some free tickets, so make sure that you stick around for that. In this series, we're kind of turning that title around and asking this question, is heaven for real? And if so, what will it be like? Will we see our loved ones? Will I be young or old, right? Will I be married or single? What do we do in heaven? Will I be bored, you know? The reality is the overwhelming majority of Americans believe in heaven. Uh, a recent poll says that 82% of American adults believe in heaven. And what's more, over 70% expect they are going to go there when they die. The other 30% said they weren't sure, but they definitely knew somebody at their work who was going to the other place. You know, like maybe an annoying boss or a mother-in-law. Don't point. It's Easter. Don't point. That's a, it's just rude. I started doing a little research about this. I discovered there's actually an entire genre of accounts like these. They're called NDEs, near-death experiences. Newsweek ran a cover story, Heaven is Real, featuring the first-hand account of a neurosurgeon from Harvard who also claims to have had an out-of-body experience when his neocortex, the brain, shut down and actually visited there. Now, my question is whether it's a four-year-old or a neurosurgeon from Harvard, all these near-death experiences seem to point to the same thing, that there is like this universal hunger for heaven, that life on this earth is not all there is. 
Scripture actually says that God has set eternity in our hearts. And what that means is this. Every single person in this room, we have an innate sense that there is more to this world, there's more to our life than we see right now. For instance, right now, you and I are living where? We are living on Earth. Yeah, okay, let's, can we agree on that? Okay, we are living, you are, you are on planet Earth. How many of you live in New Jersey? You've got a house or an apartment or a condo. Okay, New Jersey. How many of you are on Earth? 100%. How many of you are confused? You don't know where you are right now. All right, you are on Earth, okay? And here's the deal. The reality is, the reality is, Human instinct and the biblical truth tell us the exact same thing, that although you and I are currently right here on earth, one day every single person under the sound of my voice will draw your last breath and die, and your body will go into the ground. But you, the real you, what the Bible calls your soul or spirit, will continue on into the afterlife, where you will live forever and forever. And forever after that, it's as if the life that we are living right now on planet Earth is the trailer. It's the short preview. We get 70, 80 years, right? And then the real life begins. The life that you were created for. The life that you were destined for when God created you. But how do you separate fact from fiction? I mean, what is, what is heaven really like? If I asked you to describe heaven, what would you say? Because growing up in church, I was told, well, heaven is like this, you know, one giant church service in the sky, you know? Angels and people in choir robes, and we're going to be playing harps all day long, a never-ending church service. I was 10 years old. I thought, that sounds like hell to me, okay? That's not... <laughs> My son turned 10 this week, and he had a few of his buddies over. They're gamers. They were playing Minecraft. And, uh, and I said, hey, boys, what do you guys think heaven is like, you know? And one kid is just like, mm, I don't know. The other kid's like, uh, you know, they're not listening. <laughs> But the one kid perks up, he goes, oh, yeah, I, I know heaven. He goes, it's a giant, like, sparkly city with big gates and, you know, streets that are yellow. And I was like, this kid reads his Bible. Good for him. I'm like, so, you know, how do you get there? And he said, well, it's called the Emerald City, and it's a very <laughs> narrow path to get there. You have to follow the yellow brick road, okay? And that's, you know, that's when I realized his concept of heaven came more from the Wizard of Oz than the Word of God. And the reality is that's true for many Americans, and I think, sadly, a lot of Christians, our ideas about the afterlife are drawn more from popular culture than from the truths of Scripture. And so today, we're going to go straight to the source. We're going to go to God's Word, and we're going to open our Bibles to see how Scripture answers this question, is heaven for real? And we gave you a Bible today. You can open that up. The reason it's called the Bible, you know what Bible stands for, right? B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, okay? So... This is the place to start, and you're going to see Jesus give us a very, very descriptive uh, 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 teaching on heaven. He does this in John 14. That's where you can turn, page 752 in your Bible. And he gave these basic instructions before he left earth and returned to his Father in heaven. Let's read this together, John 14, and then we'll unpack it to see what we can learn. Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be what? Be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many what? Rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, here we go. Ready? 
I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is a classic text on heaven, okay? And as we get deeper in the series, we're going to kind of survey scripture to see what they all say about the afterlife. But I wanted to start here because I know some of you may be even asking the question, why should I care about heaven? I mean, the reality is I'm right here right now. I get it. I'm here on earth, and I understand it's Easter, and I'm in church and all. I come a couple times a year, but what's heaven got to do with my life on earth right now? That's where I'm here. That's true for now. That's where you are. But statistically speaking, I know something about you. In fact, I'm going to deliver bad news to you right now. You're not going to make it, <laughs> okay? Your condition is terminal, okay? The last time I checked, the mortality rate is still 100%. In fact, check out these statistics worldwide. Three people die every single second. Did you know that? There go three. <laughs> Six. Nine. There goes the second row, right? You know What that means is by the time this service is over, 11,000 people will have crossed over from this life into the afterlife. 11,000 people. I'm hopeful my preaching is not going to add to that number, but that's the statistic. And I mean, you may have heard of the man who uh, went to see his doctor, and the doctor told him, sir, I'm sorry, I have bad news, and I have worse news. And he said, okay, what's the bad news? And he said, you only have 24 hours left to live. And the guy's like, that's the bad news? What, that's terrible news. What could possibly be worse? And he said, I've been trying to call you since yesterday, <laughs> right? That's kind of a, the reality is, we don't typically think about heaven until we get bad news, until the doctor calls and says, actually, I need you to come in for a biopsy. Or a child gets sick and takes a turn for the worse. Or a loved one gets old, right? When you're young, you're in your 20s, man, you think you are invincible. To be honest, I didn't care that much about heaven until 15 years ago when my dad was diagnosed with incurable cancer. And then all of a sudden, I became very interested in what the Bible had to say about heaven. But from the Bible's perspective, it doesn't matter what age you are. See, every single one of us in this room is having a near-death experience, <laughs> from God's perspective right now. Eternity is closer than you think. And that may be kind of upsetting, by the way, to hear. You may be like, dude, you're freaking me out. <laughs> I came to Easter to be encouraged, and you're causing me to be, kind of get stressed and, and full of anxiety here. In fact, that's the reason why Jesus shared this teaching on heaven with his disciples here in John 14. Because their hearts were troubled. They were anxious. They were upset. Look at the text. Why were they troubled? They were upset because Jesus told them, hey, guys, I am about to leave the planet Earth. The end of Jesus' earthly life was upon him, and the countdown to heaven had begun. And they were upset because Jesus said, I am about to die. I'm going to be crucified on a Roman cross. You know what's going to happen, guys? They're going to take my body, and they're going to bury it in the ground for three days. But then understand something. I am going to be raised from the dead by the power of God, my Father, the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to return home. To my father in heaven. Don't be troubled. Don't be freaked out because this will happen to you if you believe in me. But the disciples didn't get it. They're like, so where are you going? <laughs> They're the disciples, right? <laughs> they, they were just, they never got it. I appreciate the disciples. They're just sad because the savior that they'd come to know and love was going to leave them behind on earth. All they could see from earth's perspective was their loss. And so Jesus gives them this teaching to comfort them in their sorrows. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many, what? Has many rooms. And if that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back 
And I'm going to take all of you to be with me so that you may be where I am. And that's an incredible promise, isn't it? In his teaching, we see Jesus define what heaven is and how to get there. If you're taking notes, I made this super simple to follow. Jesus really teaches us three things about heaven in this text. And the first is this. Heaven is a physical place. It is not some airy-fairy, pie-in-the-sky concept, but a concrete material reality. It is a physical place prepared by Christ. Not only will you have a permanent home with all of those who have trusted in Christ, but will be in the presence of God himself. And it is a promise to God's children. Jesus says, mark this, I will come back and I'm going to take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. That's such a hopeful promise, isn't it? Before we kind of break down each one, let me tell you why this is meaningful to me right now. This is deeply personal for our family. As I said, my earthly father was diagnosed with cancer 15 years ago. And it's basically been 15 years of illness and remission, illness and remission, a lot of ups and downs, peaks and valleys. And two weeks ago, my father died. He fought a very brave battle for a decade and a half. And we were blessed to enjoy many, many happy years together. But, but 14 days ago, my father, he stepped from this life into the next, into his afterlife. And eternity, for my earthly father, began. And that was a bittersweet experience. Because my father's my greatest role model in life. He's my greatest influence. He's the reason I'm a pastor, that I'm your pastor. And, you know, you can never script the end of, of someone's life, but my dad was home on hospice care the last few weeks, and our family had the privilege of coming around him one last time to pray for him, to say our goodbyes. Family flew in. It was a beautiful experience. You can see my dad. He's surrounded by his grandchildren and his family, and we said goodbyes. It was beautiful. No regrets, just treasuring those moments. But I was there with my mom the morning that my dad passed from this world to the next. And if I could just say, first, first off, thank you. Thank, I want to thank each of you. If I can take a time out, thank you for your love and your care for our family. I, we have just been overwhelmed, honestly. This church is amazing. You guys, you know, the calls, the emails, the, just the arm around the shoulder. Thank you for the outpouring of, it's truly overwhelming. Thank you for that. We feel from our heart to yours, particularly for my mom, you guys are a blessing to our family. But I was there. I was in the bedroom with my mom the morning that my dad stepped from 74 years on this earth into the life to come. And that made a mark on me because the reality is, you know what? Because my father had a strong faith in Jesus Christ as his personal savior, we are sad for us, but we're happy for him because we know where my dad is right now. You know what scripture says? It says to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. We know where Del Lucas is right now. His body goes in the ground, but you know what? He is right now with his Savior, Jesus Christ. My father was a man of great faith, and you know what? He doesn't need faith anymore. His faith has become sight. He's finally face-to-face -face with the Savior he devoted his life to serving. So we're grieving. The loss is still very real. It hurts, but we grieve with great hope. Because we believe that what Jesus is promising here is true. And that one day we're going to see my father in heaven with Christ. Amen? And let me, let me tell you what a difference this makes. Can I just tell you for me personally? Honestly, and I've been a pastor. I've been around people's deathbeds and miscarriages, all sorts of things. I just, I was like, I don't know how people get through these things without faith in Christ. Believe in God. Most Americans believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. 
Now, in the midst of my family's sadness and grief for the last few weeks, I want to tell you something funny that happened on the car ride home with our kids. Because you never know how kids are going to take this. They love their grandpa. And as we said our goodbyes and drove home, my son and my daughter were in the back seat. It was at night. They were quiet. You know, the death of somebody that you love so much is one of the hardest things in life. And so our kids, are, they, they love their grandpa. They're super quiet. So my wife, Colleen, turns around and she says, you know, how are you guys doing? She says, you know, knowing grandpa's, you know, going home to heaven to be with Jesus. And they were quiet for a good two minutes, which is like a miracle, okay? That's like dead silence from the back seat. And out of the darkness, my 10-year-old son speaks up and he just goes, Dad, where are they going to bury the body? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I said, well, you know, Grandpa was a veteran. He's going to be buried at a military cemetery. And he paused more quiet from the back seat. And then he said, Dad, when we bury you, I'm going to bury your body in the woods. And then there was quiet from the front seat, right? Like, what the, you know, is he plot, what? He goes, you know, the woods behind our house, by the fort that you and I made in the woods. We spend a lot of time there, right? And, uh, and my, my wife goes, Dell, that is so sweet. You know, that's really thoughtful. That's a special place that you and daddy spend a lot of time there together. And then there's more quiet. And then the voice of my daughter, Chase, speaks up and she goes, Mommy, we should bury you at the Short Hills Mall. <laughs> that amazing? True story, out of the mouths of babes, right? You leave it to kids to put things in perspective, right? Here in John, I mean, they, the disciples were acquainted with grief. If you look back in John 11, a woman comes to Jesus whose heart is broken because she lost her brother, Lazarus. He died, and you know what Jesus did? He cried. He had, Jesus wept. He cried because of the temporary loss of his friend on earth. But you know what he said to Mary? Jesus said to her, I am the what? The resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Let's say it together. Do you believe this? That's a great question. Do you believe this? That the death of Jesus Christ was for your benefit? That when he died on that cross, it was for the penalty of your sin? And he died the death you deserve so that one day when you die, you may not taste death. You will experience eternal life. That is the fundamental defining question of every human being's life. Do you believe this? And Mary replied, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the chosen one, the Son of God, who is to come in to the world. Folks, that is the ultimate hope that is found at the center of the Christian faith for thousands of years. Millions and millions of people have literally staked their lives on that promise over the years. The promise of resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ, God's Son. Now, if you haven't believed that for yourself, personally put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you a chance to do that at the end of today's message. I'm going to give you an invitation to settle this question of your eternal destiny once and for all. I'm going to ask, do you believe this? Are you ready to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as a believer, become a Christian? And if you're not a Christian yet, I want you to think about this as we're talking. Because I want to look briefly at these three things that Jesus teaches about heaven. And the first is this. Notice Jesus says heaven is a physical place. He says, in my father's what? In his house. There are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In other words, heaven is for real. Heaven is for real, for real, the Greek word here for place is topos, and it means a literal location, a dwelling place. And this runs counter to people who claim that heaven is just this kind of, you know, state of mind, or it's this wispy, you know, concept in the clouds. According to Jesus, 
who came from heaven and was going to return to his father in heaven, there are rooms. Heaven is a home. It's a dwelling place. It's as real as this door. Look at his language. He says it's the topos, the location of God himself, and his door is a lot bigger than this one. <laughs> and you may be like, no, I've never heard that. So you're telling me heaven is as real as the home that I live on here in New Jersey? And the Bible says no. <laughs> it's even more real than your place. Scripture goes to great lengths to describe heaven in very earthy terms. In Jesus' parables, he calls it a heavenly city with streets and walls and people and trees and animals and rivers, just like we have here on earth. We're going to look at the book of Revelation in the weeks to come, and heaven is way more earthy than you and I think. It's a heavenly city. It's a country with citizens. It's a kingdom, Jesus says. It is a, there's going to be a wedding feast with food and, catch this, new wine. Sorry, Baptist. It's just what the Bible says here. But you know what my favorite description of heaven is? My favorite in the entire Bible. It's the one that Jesus gives here in John 14. He calls it my father's house. <laughs> Those of you who grew up in a warm and loving home, you know it as a place that you long to return to. Here's a picture of my childhood home where my mom and dad lived for 49 years. They raised my brother Ted and I there for two decades. And even when I got married and moved out and we had kids of our own, Colleen, I still love to drive there on weekends just to spend a few hours in my father's house because my father had great affection for me. He had great affection for his grandchildren. My father was a man of great faith and love and integrity. I've told you many stories about him. I won't tell you more. Well, maybe just one. It's Easter. <laughs> Growing up, my father and I bonded over baseball. Anybody who knew my dad, my earthly father was like, for his one abiding passion for 74 years was the New York Yankees. He was kind and compassionate, abounding in love, unless you rooted for the Red Sox. You are dead to him, okay? You're dead. And he coached my brother and I in little leagues where he could be quite loud, hollering from the third base coach's box. My greatest memory as a child, honestly, was 535 every day when my dad would come home from working at Prudential. And I would sit literally by the window of my father's house waiting for him, his Chevette, to pull in the driveway with his glove. This is it. Look at this, a five-finger jobber, right? It's, well, I guess we all have five fingers, but you get it. It's an old glove. <laughs> and he would come out, and I'd say, Dad, catch, catch, catch. And Mom would go, give, him, give him some time. And Dad would go in, and he'd change into his play clothes. And then we would go out in front of Northview Terrace, and we would have a catch. Thousands and thousands of throws over the years, back and forth, back and forth. And he never got tired of it. He was an extremely patient man. Even when I wanted to pitch, you know, and I just fired it right over his head, he'd run down Bowden Road, go pick it up and jog back, and we'd have this catch. And I think something powerful happens between a father and his son when they spend long hours together, whether it's in the garage or the wood shop or throwing balls or building forts. Yet when it came to the Yankees, dad was creative because this was the 80s before the powerhouse days of Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera and Bernie. Dad would take Ted and I to the Bronx, but the problem was there wasn't a lot to cheer about. So my dad got creative and decided to start a fan club, okay? He called it the Morris and Essex County Yankee Fan Club. And he was president, my brother was the vice president, and I was co-vice president. He had five co-workers from Prudential who were the entire fan club. And so my dad made letterhead at work, and he faxed a letter to Yankee Stadium front office, and he said, hey, we would like to present you know, the, our MVP with an award this year. And they were like, the, the fan club? This is the big fan club? And, and, he's, and they're like, how many tickets do you want? You want 300 tickets? And he said, no, just the executive team is coming. Uh, and, you know, and literally, we went to Yankee Stadium, the announcer would say, 
would you please welcome the Morris and Essex County Yankee Fan Club? And we would walk down onto the field and present our heroes with a $15 wood veneer plaque, okay? Lou Pinella, Greg Nettles, Willie Randolph, we met them all. Catfish Hunter, we would go down onto the field and they would autograph baseballs for us. We made it all the way to Don Mattingly, okay? Before anyone suspected anything, you know? Before I said they, they realized, I think this fan club's really this guy and his two boys, you know? That's a picture of my two idols growing up, my dad, Del Lucas, and Don Mattingly. I mean, can you imagine getting that close to Jeter today? I want to score points for dad's ingenuity when it came to baseball. But growing up, baseball was a powerful bond in my father's house. Unfortunately, I was not very gifted at it. <laughs> my passion exceeded my ability. I was extraordinarily average. I basically played two positions growing up, right field, you're not going to hit it to you, and left out, okay? That's just kind of, but it didn't matter because here's the secret. I knew my father was always in the stands cheering for me. Even when I struck out, he'd be like, great swing, Timmy, out of boy, Tim, great swing, because my father was abounding in love for his son, and I slowly learned, hey, wait a minute, it doesn't matter how I perform, dad is going to love and cheer me anyway. So in Little League, I got left back a year. Look at me. I'm the chunky kid in the middle. Dad's the coach on the left, his junky little helmet, but it didn't faze me. I didn't know I stunk. I signed up to play baseball in high school and played with all these other athletes who were way more talented, and I sat on the bench for most of my four years, but dad would come. My father came to every game with a camcorder. Remember the big camcorders in those days? And I would sit on the bench for the entire game until the coach would feel sorry if it was like a blowout. You know, in sixth inning, he'd be like, all right, Lucas, go in and pinch run, you know? And I'd run out there to first, and like, okay, you know, and I'd steal and get thrown out, and my dad would be filming it, and he'd be like, great running, great running, you know? And he compiled the senior videotape of highlights, and he would include me getting thrown out at second base, right? And it was amazing to me, but that's when it dawned on me. Baseball was simply an excuse for letting my brother and I know we were the apple of my father's eye. Baseball is, what I, is when I learned what it meant to live in the Father's love, in my Father's house. Because it's an extraordinary kind of love that God has for you. It's called grace. Grace is the un, unmerited, undeserved, extravagant love of God. Apart from anything that we do for him, he simply loves us because of who he is, not what we do. And so my final year, I didn't play much. I stunk, but there was an awards dinner, okay, and not much to celebrate. I didn't get any award. But on the way home, Dad reaches. We're driving in his little Chevette, and he reaches in the pack, and he says, hey, I think they forgot to give a trophy to somebody. And he pulls out this trophy. I instantly recognize that's not the trophy everybody got. And he goes, no, go ahead. I think this one's for you. Go ahead and read it. And I read it. I'll read it to you. It says, Tim Lucas. It says, highest on-base percentage for a pinch runner in the fifth inning or later, okay? <laughs> Those of you who are in this, <laughs> that is a totally phony baloney statistic, okay? There is no such thing, okay? He made up a statistic to celebrate me and let me know how proud he was that I was his son. And he was my father. Regardless of how I performed that in his eyes, look, I'm an all-star, man. <laughs> Can I tell you what that does for boy's heart? It didn't land me a scholarship. But that steadfast love, that unshakable grace, the unshakable confidence, it made me who I am today. Because I grew up in the Father's house knowing that I have the confidence. I found my niche in college. I was like, I can take a risk as an adult. I can swing for the fences because dad will always love me. I, he started a fan club. We could start a church. Let's do it. 
Because I realized I have nothing to prove. Do you know what my dad did? My earthly father introduced me to the radical grace of my heavenly father. And let me tell you something. If you have a child in your life, it is the greatest task of your entire existence. John writes, how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called what? Say it together, church. Children of God. And that is what we are. My earthly father taught me, hey, if God forgives your sin and he sees Jesus Christ in you, what do you have to prove? Nothing. The pressure is off. Just rest in his love. That's the father heart of God. That's grace. As God's children, we're loved not because of what we do, but because of what Christ did on the cross. We are his righteousness. And we're not loved for how we perform, but for whose we are. Now, I have saved this trophy for so many years. You know why? Because I'm like, that's a reminder of the father I want to be. One who reflects the radical grace of my father in heaven. And parents understand it's your greatest task on this earth. In fact, let me give you a challenge right now. If we got parents here today, or you're an aunt or an uncle, or fathers, mothers, grandparents, if you have influence in a child's life, I want you to understand something. The greatest task that you have on earth is to introduce that child to their father in heaven. In the way that you love, in the way that you live, in the way that you worship, not just on Sunday, in the way that you invest in the next generation. And you know what? If you invest wisely on this side of the door, as my dad did, by God's grace, you will one day reap a harvest in heaven. You will leave a legacy that lasts into eternity. Amen? Amen. Heaven is just going home to live in my father's house, Jesus said. My father's house. At the heart of the universe is a relationship of epic love between a father and his son. And let me tell you what a comfort that is if you didn't have the blessing of a parent who cared for you. I understand there's a lot of heartache in our church. A lot of people are like, man, I wish I had that. I didn't have that. Let me, let me give you such hope. The greatest love that your heart has yearned for, the greatest love that you've experienced on earth from a parent, it's just a shadow. It is a fraction of what awaits you in eternity. So you understand why Paul feels conflicted about either staying on earth or going to heaven. Look what he writes in Philippians. The apostle Paul writes these words. He says, I'm torn. <laughs> I'm torn between the two. You know what part of me? I desire to depart in what? Be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain where? In the body. You see that? Paul feels conflicted. He's like, man, I want to go there, but I'm stuck here. All right. <laughs> the thought of heaven makes him hungry. Paul was always like, if the love of the Father and his son Jesus is at the center of all reality, who doesn't want to spend eternity in the Father's house? Heaven is a physical place. It is prepared by Christ, and it is promised to his children. Jesus says, my Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Now, that's a thought. I want you to think of the most beautiful place in this present world that you have ever seen. Think about it, right? God created everything that we see in six days. Think of the most beautiful place that you have seen, right? The Grand Tetons in the fall, right? Stunning in their beauty. The Caribbean Ocean, right? Crystal blue waters if you've out, been out in the ocean. The Jersey Shore in the spring. Wipe that, okay? That's all right. Maybe not. God created all that magnificence in how many days? How many days? Six days. He has been working on your home for 2,000 years. Translation, we're living in a garbage dump right now compared to what awaits us. Even the best experiences we have on the present earth 
pale in comparison to what the Father has prepared for those who love him. As Paul writes, look what Paul writes. He says, you, gotta get, you don't get it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has, what has prepared for those who love him. According to Jesus, God is preparing a place for you right now in the Father's house that's going to blow your mind. And not only that, he makes this promise to every one of his children. In verse 3, Jesus says, if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Beyond the sheer beauty of heaven, the greatest thing that we have to look forward to is being in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. Right now, we can only imagine. We understand Jesus this much. Uh, to an extent, nowhere near completely. Scripture says, on this side of the door, it's like looking in a mirror. <laughs> it's like looking through a window, a foggy window, a dark glass. Paul writes this, he says, for now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. But then what? We shall see face to face. You tell me what that will be like. What will it be like to look into the eyes of the one who created you? What will it be like like to look into the eyes of the one who said, I created you, and I have loved you with an eternal love. And I have been dreaming of this moment. I ordained every day of your life is in my book before one of them came to be. And then what will it be like to meet your Savior Christ face to face? What will Jesus look like? It's interesting in that book, Heaven is for Real. Uh, Colton's parents, they asked their son that very question. I was reading it again this week, and they kept asking him, so did you see Jesus? He said, oh, yes, I saw Jesus. They said, what did he look like? You know, long hair, white robe, sash, you know? <laughs> and they start showing him pictures of Jesus, but Colton always shakes his head. He goes, no, that's not Jesus. That doesn't look like Jesus. And they're like, what does he look like? And the kid kept saying, Jesus has markers. And they're like, markers? What are, what are markers? His parents, like, didn't understand. They're like, you mean, like, coloring markers? He's four years old. He goes, yeah, markers. They're like, what, what, are they, what, what color are the markers? He's like, they're red markers. And so for weeks it went by, what are these markers? And so finally his dad said, Colton, where does Jesus have these markers? And the little boy said, here and here. And here and here. How will you recognize your Christ, your Savior? I don't know that it'll be by his face. It'll be by his feet and his hands. After Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, he still bore the wounds of crucifixion, didn't he? He said, I want to be known by my scars, by the love that I have for you. I laid my life down for you. And by my wounds, you are healed. Forgiven of our sin, safe at home in the arms of our Savior. Friends, death is just the beginning. An eternal life is waiting with God the Father and his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, greater than anything that we can imagine right now. Is anyone here hungry for heaven? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I just wanted to whet your appetite today. In the coming weeks, I'm going to get very specific and practical about heaven. We're going to look in the Bible to answer questions, you know, such as, you know, what about, you know, my family, you know, um, what about babies who die early? What about people who don't know Christ? Will I be married in heaven, right? Some of you are like, oh, you know, I'd be married in heaven. Some of you are like, I'm already married, okay, dude, I hope. <laughs> Uh, is there sex in heaven? I know what you men are thinking, all right? I'm just going to say it out right now, all right? Believe it or not, the Bible gives all sorts of concrete clues and scintillating details about our heavenly home to explore, and we're going to look at those in the coming weeks. I hope you will come back. But I want to end today by answering the greatest question of all in this text as clearly as I can. In John 14, after Jesus teaches his disciples this stunning description of heaven, Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? In other words, Thomas was like, Jesus, heaven sounds incredible, okay? But how do we get there? I, 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 like, I want to go. You're making me hungry. I want to go. But this is the first century, dude, okay? I can't ask Siri. <laughs> I can't Google directions. I don't have GPS. And Jesus, good teacher and great savior that Christ is, he gives a very clear answer. Let's read his words out loud together. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen to me. There's something I know right now about every single person in this room. One day in the future, your number is going to be called. In your life, on this earth, it'll be over. Maybe it'll be 74 years like my dad's. Maybe it'll be four years like Colton Burpo when he had his near-death experience. None of us know. But what I do know is this. When that day comes, you better know the way. Jesus said, I am the way. And I am the truth and I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Heaven is a place and Jesus is the path. And when he died, he died to forgive your sin. And when he was raised, it was to conquer death. And now he has the power to give eternal life to any man or woman humble enough to ask for it. Have you asked for it? Can you point to a moment in your life when you said, Christ, I receive you as my savior. I receive, be my savior. I believe that you are the father's son. I want to spend eternity in heaven with you. Would you forgive my sin? Would you come into my heart so that when I die, I will step from this life into my eternal home in heaven? Have you said that? Have you prayed that? Not just intellectually. I'm going to be honest. I feel like today I was writing this message and I was like, I just felt it. I was like, today for some people who are, you are listening to this message, this is your day of salvation. Today, God has been speaking directly to your heart. You, <laughs> God has been knocking on your door for some time. Maybe you've had your doubts like Thomas, but he's been speaking to your heart today. It's not because I'm talking about my father. It's because God's speaking to you, his child. And in Revelation, Jesus says these words, here I am. I stand at the door and what? I, I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and you open this door, what am I going to do? I will come in. And I will eat with that person and they with me. We will have fellowship for the rest of your life. Have you opened the door? Have you invited Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior because he is the only way to heaven? Your father created you in love and he created you for eternal life. And he sent his only son to show you the path. If you haven't done that, what is holding you back? Scripture says today's the day of salvation. We just finished a series on the reliability of the Gospels. How can we trust the Bible? How do we know the Word of God is trustworthy? Fact, not feeling. You now have concrete evidence for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today in this room, at this moment, Christ is here. Where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst of them, and right now, he's standing at someone's door and he's knocking. Will you let him in? In just a moment, I am going to give you a chance to stand up and pray a bold prayer of salvation and become a believer and secure your home in heaven. I feel that very profoundly in my heart.
Last week, my dad was buried in South Jersey in a military cemetery. He spent a couple years in the army, and it was a very moving service. The honor guard was there. They played taps, and they folded the flag and presented it to my mom, and we said goodbye. And then they closed the coffin, and they buried his body in the ground. His soul was long gone. You know, he's safely at home in the father's house. But as our family turned to walk away, a sergeant surprised me with a question because the sergeant who was in charge of internment, he said, excuse me, sir, what do you want written on your dad's gravestone? You, you know, wh what do you want inscribed? Because they give you a grave marker where they inscribe his name, they, give you, they, they inscribe his rank, they put his date of birth, and then they put the day that he died. And then they give you extra space for a personal inscription. They said you can, it has to be 20 characters or less, right? Thank you, government, you know? <laughs> And he goes, you can say anything you want. And then he like gave us some examples. He said, you know, it could be beloved husband or devoted dad. And so my mom and my brother and I, we, we talked it over. We actually went out and walked among some of the tombstones to see what others had written. And one tombstone said, bon voyage, right? You know, I guess he was in the Navy. Another one said, believe it or not, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And that's when we realized, oh, this, our choice is easy. And I called our, that sergeant over, and I said, you know what? You know what our family told him to write on my dad's tombstone? Three words. Alive in Christ, because he is. I know it. He believed it. And that gives us such hope. My dad's been promoted to heaven. That's what's happened. He's been promoted. And our family, now we grieve, but we were like, death, where's your sting? His faith is now sight. He's face to face with the Christ he gave his life to over 50 years ago. Could you say that? If tomorrow you step through this door, fingers crossed, or do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when that day comes, you will be alive in Christ, more alive than you have ever hoped to be. D.L. Moody said this. He said, one day the newspapers will give you word of my passing. Don't believe a word of it. I will be more alive then than ever before. Listen to me. You were made for a person and a place. Heaven is a place. Jesus is the person, and it's a package deal. You don't get one without the other. And so I want to invite you today, right now on Easter, to secure your reservation once and for all. To just put aside your pride and your doubt and put your faith in Christ today. What better day to become a Christian? It's Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. And mark this. You will look back on this day. You will say, that Easter was the day that I finally received the Father's love and forgiveness, and I can point to it. I have assurance of my home in heaven for all eternity. You can leave here today knowing, for certain as my dad did, that no matter what comes through this door in your life, when you leave, you will be alive in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God, I feel your Holy Spirit right now. Thank you for your pleasure, God. Thank you for the people who are here and you created them in your image right now. I thank you for sons and daughters right now and people who are preparing to step across the line of faith and come into the kingdom of God. We thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, right now, we just clear room. You are speaking to people and Father, I pray that you would speak to them and those who you are talking to, would they stand up, Father? They're gonna stand up in just a moment and pray a bold prayer of salvation. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. If you're here today with all of our heads bowed at all of our campuses, if you are here right now and you are like, I believe, today I believe, I am stepping over from death to life, I'm becoming a Christian, would you join me? Just stand up right where you are. Go ahead and just stand up. Just stand straight up. 
Just, that's right, awesome. All over New Brunswick, Nutley, Mountainside, you just stand straight up. Don't be embarrassed. You know why I ask you to stand up? Jesus said, whoever publicly acknowledges me on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So you just stand up. You're going to remember this. Our pastors see you, but this is more for your Father in heaven. You're standing right now. And you know what? Would you just pray these words with me? Just pray them right after me. My Father in heaven, thank you for creating me. Thank you for loving me. Come now and save me. Jesus, I believe that you are God's son, that you died for my sins. I turn from them now. I repent. And Father, I cross over to life through the blood of Christ. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just ask him, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Confirm for me my salvation right now. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father God, I pray right now for people who prayed that prayer. Would you flood them with the Holy Spirit, Father God? This is the day of salvation for them, Father. May they always look back on this as the day of their new birth. They have a new birthday, Father God. And we thank you. We welcome them into the family of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said together, amen. amen. Would you welcome our new brothers and sisters in Christ? Welcome to the family of God. This is a huge day for you. Welcome, guys. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.